It's that time of the week again, and you're listening to the Fantasy Fund Manager podcast. I'm Stuart Lerman from Biz News, and we're into week 23 of the 27-week competition. We've just finished the fifth month and are into October, which is the sixth month of competition. Our guests today, Gareth Montana, Director at Corian Capital, and Simon Deploy, Portfolio Manager at Corian Capital. Gents, thanks for joining. Uh, just quickly, I've got to congratulate the winner from week 22 with Garth Nash, up 5.54%. And the September winner was Jonathan Evans, up 8.48%. I think those are quite good numbers. Um, Gareth, not sure your side. How's the competition going? I think we should be hiring them. Simon's job might be under pressure because this environment, unbelievable returns. Uh, I actually had a better month last month, but this week has uh, brought me back down to earth with a, with a bit of a crash, unfortunately, led by pick and pay. Yeah. Yeah, we saw leadership change there. Sean Summers coming back. Um, I know a few people on Mars had also brought it in on the back of that, but down 15.68% at time of recording. Yeah. Uh, Simon, your side, how's uh, the game? We're into week 23, this last month of competition. How's it, how's it playing out your side? Echo, Garen. I thought it was going well until this last week. I also got a bit of a crash. I got caught in implants this week, just down nearly 20%. So, yeah, the platinum miners continue to be under pressure. I suppose let's look at the market environment. We've Last week we touched on the bond yield in the U.S. up at a 15-year high. Um, on your side, how's that playing out in markets, Simon? Uh, what you've seen as the outcome of, of these sort of high expectations of rates for higher? And what is that doing for certainty in the market or uncertainty? Yeah, it's it's definitely affecting markets in a very real way, both, you know, financial assets and the real economy. So we're seeing U.S. mortgage rates at uh, decade highs, and it's, it's playing act actually quite interesting, interestingly in the U.S. Different than South Africa, U.S. mortgages are fixed rate. So there's a whole bunch of people that managed to get a mortgage at 0% sure. two or three years ago, and there's now they're not going to sell that. They're not going to pay. They're not going to sell that house because they have to refinance at seven or eight percent. And it's actually leading to a shortage of properties in the U.S. So it's got this very strange behavior where nobody, the market's not moving, um, because nobody can finance a house at eight percent. The U.S. consumer is not used to a, an eight percent mortgage rate, especially after this decade of low rates. I've saw a stat yesterday that. Um, mortgage registrations are the, the lowest since 1995. So you can just imagine that not going to affect through an economy if, if properties are not moving. So Gareth, I suppose that wouldn't, put, that wouldn't put pressure on a discretionary spend. That would be more an inflationary um, input. But that would not be good for business with new housing starts, etc. Yeah, I think these knock-on effects, you know, you, they, they felt far and, wide, far and wide. And it's, you know, there, there's you're compounded with higher funding costs, you've got higher energy costs. Um, so I think it, it all leads to pressure on the consumer. And I think that that, con that pressure on the consumer, it, we, we obviously feeling it in South Africa. I mean, the recent, this last Wednesday's, you know, petrol and diesel and paraffin hikes were, you know, quite material and are going to be felt again. But globally, I think, you know, it, it, it continues to be the same theme is this, this inflation is, is sticky um it, it continues it continues to be a concern um i mean the uk i think uh, i was also reading this week is the first time in i don't know how long they had a drop in food prices um 
you know, I think any any of our friends and colleagues who've been over there will tell you how expensive the UK's got to live. Um, so it's it's not it's not a South African uh, phenomenon. It's that globally the consumer is under pressure. And what does this uh, ultimately mean for valuations of stocks in the US? And that obviously lead into South Africa. Um, we mentioned off air, Gareth. You're talking about no margin of safety with no margins of safety with valuations. Is this putting sort of how does that make you? At Corian, you both see sort of the stocks going forward or the prices of stocks. I'll defer to Simon here on this question. So, whenever growth rates come down, you know, companies, or let me rather say sectors, because you can always have in a company that's an exception, but, you know, sectors that have assumed significant growth into the future, uh, that if that doesn't materialize, there's going to be pressure on the share prices. The companies trading at PE multiples of, of above 50. You know, an investor has to be very careful that you, that at that growth and earnings will actually materialize. And with what we're increasingly seeing in the economic backdrop, it, it is a real worry. We also had a look at some bankruptcy statistics in the US this past week. And although not an outlier, bankruptcies are the highest in in well, the third highest in the last since 2010. So it's only 2010 that was you know uh, hangover from the financial crisis. And COVID, where the bankruptcies year to date has been higher than this particular year, uh, so you're starting to see that pressure in the economy. Starting to see it having an effect on company earnings, uh, definitely on bankruptcies, and and that's a real concern if you're buying stocks that's priced for growth. I know we we haven't spoken. We don't like to be a Doctor Doom, um, you know, Noel Rabini. But is this is there more likelihood of a recession if we look forward? with the rates for longer with a scenario that's sort of playing out in the US? I think it's difficult to argue otherwise. For a world that's got accustomed to zero interest rates, um, and there's lovely quotes, especially if you go back in, in history, you know, where uh, I saw one, it is the, as soon as rates drop below 2%, um, people don't want to hold cash, which is an important asset to hold at times. And that's when some investors start doing very silly things. Um, and we've had that essentially for at least five years, if not for a decade. And all of that's unwinding now. Suddenly you have to get used to, like we said in the beginning, portages at 7%, which is where they were for most of the, the 90s and the 80s. But young people, you know, somebody that's in the mid-30s doesn't know anything else than mortgages at, at below 5%. And now it's suddenly that high. So... It's very difficult to argue that the risk of recession has not increased. It's definitely increased in my mind. And as an investor with that risk increase, what do you do if you're sitting on cash? Do you stay on cash or do you move looking for valuation or opportunities in the market with that risk? I think it's a combination of both. So if, if for investors that want to be fully invested in equities all the time, um, you know, it really is trying to find the stocks that will perform better in a recession. And, you know, we always think in terms of tilting as opposed to, you know, going all in into one stock or one sector. So you might want to tilt more to the companies that that will be more defensive in a recession. That is something to consider. Um, but the easiest is, is in multi-asset portfolios where you might be a bit more cautious on your equity allocation, um, you know, m- maybe hold a bit more cash, uh, even if it's just uh, in in the short term to to protect against a, a potential 
potential downswing, but also not so extreme because you, the recession might not happen. You know, we, we, <laughs> we, we can see signs, but the markets are always um, uncertain. Sorry, Stu, I think it's, it's such a good question and a difficult question to answer, but I think it stems from the view of, of equities and being rewarded for risk over a long period of time. And there's that that cliche that gets thrown around, but it it, it really is, you know, impactful in, in in dissecting. And is that it's not timing the market; it's time in the market. And there are so many instances over the last few years where you could have just gone, I don't want anything to do with equities, whether it be SA globally. You know, coming out of COVID, that V-shaped recovery was. It was so easy to sell at the bottom of COVID. It was so easy to to look at the bottlenecks across the globe. The you know economy shut down. That you don't want to be in equities. You sell at the bottom, and you've you've missed you know doubling in returns from the bottom in equities. So the the it's in these times, it's it's a case of if you are entering the market and you you're lucky enough to be in cash, it's it's as as Simon's you know, tilt or stage your investment in you know in, in weak periods put in a little bit of money and ride through. But if you're in the market, it's very difficult to go selling now. Potentially, you can do some rotation. Potentially, go into something where stocks aren't that valued, where there's more certainty around cash flows and maybe not buy those high growth counters where it really becomes difficult to look through a cycle and know what earnings are going to look like. One of the things that's coming out this week is a stronger dollar. I'm just trying to bring it back to the local market. Is this a sign or is this an expectation of the current environment? Will we see a stronger dollar with what's going on on the market, Simon? The stronger dollar is, at this stage, a function of the rates. Whenever you see US treasuries or US interest rates, short-term interest rates, reaching new highs, that's attractive to foreign investors that want to diversify their portfolio. And in order to, to you know to buy that bond or buy the deposit, you have to buy dollars first. Uh, so it's much more a function of the rates than it is of the of the currency. I and mean, the currency is ultimately a means to an end. Interestingly, um, our local currency is held up comparatively well. Now people will tell me, no, we were trading eighteen rand against the dollar a few weeks ago. Now we're at nineteen fifty, but. We're actually stronger against the euro. We're actually stronger, much stronger against the pound. Um, and which shows that often what happens in fixed income market, well, sorry, in FX markets, is is far more external to South Africa than what it's internal to South Africa. Stronger dollar, you know, creates, uh, it, it can always continue. Um, and for those investors that are able to edge, you know, it's maybe an opportune time to, to look at reducing some offshore exposure. But at the same time, we know that if recession hits and if a recession hits hard, the dollar is going to get a lot stronger. So this is actually one of the most difficult um, uh, scenarios to position for at this stage. Also, now when we look at the JSC, I know we're speaking pre-podcast. If you look at the revenue sort of income for JSC contributions, about 60 to 70%. Simon, I know we, we're not sure on the exact number in foreign yeah. currency. So it's almost like you... You're trying to play both sides because the econo- economy locally is not great. But if you're earning offshore as a business, you can, you know, with a weaker rand, I don't know if that plays into a positive or a negative for local markets. It's definitely mixed um, because there's this, there is the factor of the currency, 
And like you say, you know, it, it, I think it just depends on which index you're using. If you're using the top 40 or any of the other indices out there, which will determine the, the ratio of foreign earnings. But that's hardly the only factor in uh, in driving the share price performance. There's the cost side to it. Some companies cost in dollars, other companies have cost in rand. So that's going to be a big determinant. And some companies, their primary market where the share price is determined is, is in London or New York. So if, if those share prices come down in in pound or dollar terms, you know you need the rand to do much worse in order just to compensate for that. I think that's why investors are often uh, disappointed by rand hedge stocks as they, yes, you know, there's definitely a benefit from the rand going weaker, but that doesn't mean the stock doesn't sell off in, in London or New York. Guys, any input from you on the currency and what it means for for companies? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a bit more of a positive spin on the South African earnings base for those companies in that you do actually have a natural hedge in the rand depreciating. Is it going to be translating one-to-one? Probably not. But, you know, we, we're fortunate that our index does have, as we discussed in the previous podcast, you know, the, the likes of a Richmond, um, you know, Nashbass driven by Tencent. Obviously, China's got its own issues, but, um, you know, a, a separate discussion in, in terms of where they are in, in from a macro perspective. But, you know, you you do get that benefit of a Bitcorp and, and anything else that is ex- externalized. So, yeah, so the South African market at times doesn't really translate directly with our local economy, um, which is which is a, a great tool to have when you are investing and you do know that your savings aren't totally linked to, you know, a dollar going massively stronger against the rand and, and we, we've got no hope and the market's under real pressure. So we'll bring it back to Fancy Fund, uh, looking ahead to next week. I don't know if... Either of you look at ex-dividend stocks when you make your picks, but just for listeners, next week we've got Discovery, First Band and Harmony going ex-dividend, and we've got results from Carew. I don't know if you use any of those in your sort of decision-making, like Simon, Gareth? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if your stock, is, as we know, if you've got a stock that's going ex-div, the, the, the rules of these games, in an, in an ordinary share portfolio, you'll get paid your dividend. Here, unfortunately, your stock should theoretically drop by that dividend. So if you're holding any of them, I wouldn't be able. I guess results is is fifty fifty really. You don't know how the markets will react to to earnings, so that would be a, a sort of throwing it of the dice, wouldn't it? If for an for a career as an example. Yeah, I think the the way earnings tend to work now is that information is you know ubiquitous, and unless they're really surprised relative to how they've guided the market, a lot of it tends to be in the price. Um, you know, the likes of a transaction capital. You know, absolutely shocked the market and continued to shock the market. Now we can argue whether analysts got that right or wrong, but expectations weren't, you know, that we buy cars was going to be under as big a pressure as it was at all. Generally speaking, though, most of the earnings forecasts are guided by companies. Shouldn't be that much of a shock. Well, Simon, uh, we we like a tip for gamers, not a major tip, but we like to close the show off with a gamer tip. I'm not sure if you've got anything or any words of wisdom. Or listeners. So in the final four weeks, um, I'll go back to my comment at the previous podcast that I that I did where is that this game is unique in that you actually can catch up. Um, or you can actually lose the game the final week. You know, if you had implants today and you were high up on the ranking tables, it's it definitely hurt your chances. 
uh, maybe it's uh, maybe now is the time to be a bit more active, take a bit more more chances. It is ultimately a game, um, and uh, and 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 the winning and 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 the game here is to, is is to get top of the of the table, not necessarily protect capital, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of what we're trying to do on on a day to day basis. So I su- I suspect we're going to see us at least on those um, people that played very actively to see a, some big portfolio changes in, in this four weeks because you've got limited downside, very limited, and your your reputation. But if you're lucky, you you could go up the tables at very least in your local. Those dinner table reputations are very important, Simon. <laughs> Definitely. Look, Austin, thanks very much for your time. That's Simon Deploy, portfolio manager at Corian Capital and Gareth Montana, Director at Corian Capital. And a big thanks to our partners that make the podcast possible. That's Terebinth Capital, ShareNet, Money Better, and Klukas Grey Asset Management. And from me, Stuart Lohman, until next time, cheerio.